0: From beanies to carry bags, and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program and to Tuesday, November 28th. And not that far away from Tuesday for our listeners in the United States, welcome to you as well. I couldn't allow this calendar date to pass without making special mention of it. Oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. On this day in 1947, eight months after the end of the Arab-Israeli War, the United Nations General Assembly adopted a resolution calling for the partition of Palestine into two separate states, an arab and a Jewish state that would retain an economic union. The Palestinian Arabs rejected the resolution because they viewed it as too much in favour of Israel. The resolution has never been implemented. And 76 years later, what do we have? The hate and conflict hits another bloody crescendo. And what is Anthony Blinken running around Arab state leadership asking for a petition, a two-state solution. I think they'll be asking the same thing in about 50 years' time. I'll get you the latest on the fourth release of hostages, which occurred on Monday, and then there was early Tuesday the, um, the release of prisoners, Palestinian prisoners from Israeli jails as well. Uh, What we know about these imprisoned souls, we don't know much. It's been interesting that those who have been released have been kept well and truly away from mainstream media who are now positioned in Israel, plus the shooting of three Palestinian college students in Vermont, one sustaining some serious spinal injuries. The suspect has been charged, and police suspect it is a hate crime. We'll look at some of the biggest stories in the US right now with the help of our LA commentator, Natalie Beisner. We'll discuss the new George Floyd documentary. Have you heard about this? It might be one that you take a look at because it exposes some very big fat lies. We'll talk to Natalie about what kind of lies they might be. The secretive White House surveillance program giving police access to trillions, of US phone records. And how terminal is President Joe Biden's poll numbers at the moment? Some are saying he will not come back from here. All of that and more with Natalie Beisner in just a short moment. From Down Under today, we will cross directly to Parliament House in Canberra, where Liberal Senator Holly Hughes has met with the families of Israelis who were murdered or kidnapped And what a nightmare for anyone to withstand. We'll ask her how that experience was. We'll talk about how police are trying to track down one of those criminal detainees who soon after being released, thanks to the High Court, has simply vanished. It didn't take long, did it? And why has Anthony Albanese lost Middle Australia? When you break down the last two news polls, you actually understand where he's losing support. It is Middle Australia. And that's got to be because they've done absolutely nothing about easing the cost of living. We'll talk to Holly Hughes on the show next hour. And the expert in all things politically incorrect, former nighttime radio champion Jim Ball, will be applying a few uppercuts to some pathetic suspects in the program today. He's on the warpath over some very ridiculous statements made on national television last night uh, by two dumbos about the result of the voice referendum. And I mean dumb with a capital D. And I think Jim wants to ask why the hell are we even listening to what they have to say? And the push to create more seats and more politicians in Australia. My goodness, we've got way too many as it is. Jim Ball coming up a little bit later. And let's get some of you clever and very, very smart regular listeners on our talkback lines this week. Uh, don't leave it to others. Your views do count, particularly if you talk to a large, wide audience on TNT Radio. So uh, give us a call from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. They are our numbers. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting live right now from Sydney on the Global News Talk Network, TNT Radio.live.
1: The facts, no spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies, we need the facts. This
0: is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You've been hearing it on most of our news bulletins throughout the morning and afternoon depending on where you are of course, but Let me give you a little bit more information. Israel said 11 hostages, all women and children, have been released from Hamas captivity in the Gaza Strip late Monday, the final day of an initial four-day truce between the warring sides. Now, early Tuesday, as I mentioned, 33 Palestinians held in Israeli prisons were freed and driven to the occupied West Bank city of Ramallah. Hours earlier... Qatar's foreign ministry said Israel and Hamas agreed to extend their truce for another two days. I'll have something to say about the extension in just a second. Now, Monday's releases bring the number of Israelis freed under the truce to 50, along with 19 hostages of other nationalities. So far, 150 Palestinians have been released from Israeli prisons. Roughly 240 hostages were captured by Hamas on October seven. Uh, one was freed by Israeli forces and two were found dead inside Gaza. With the truce deal has come increased shipments of fuel and supplies, uh, although aid groups say it's still barely enough to dent the needs of the 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, When is humanitarian aid ever enough, especially in a war zone? So truthfully, how has Hamas treated the 240 unfortunate souls who were kidnapped on October 7? Very hard to tell right now. I sense that there's been a deliberate attempt by Israeli officials to keep the hostages well clear of the media so the truth doesn't derail the ongoing operation. We've heard nothing from any of the hostages, apart from very brief emotional comments as they were placed into the arms of hospital staff and also members of the Red Cross, no one has given a single interview to the media, uh, which must be something deliberately requested by the Israeli forces, because a large number of international journalists are on the ground in Israel And they have developed close bonds with family members of those hidden under the ground for 50 days. Very close indeed. And that makes sense because this truce and the exchange of hostages for Palestinian prisoners is precarious, to say the least. Many of the agreements have been delayed. Hamas has protested about the lack of humanitarian trucks that have made their way to central Gaza. Now, Israel wants all hostages released safely. That won't happen if those now out of Gaza begin humiliating their captors. Now, if they do humiliate their captors, I have a feeling that some of these decisions for truces may end. So what do we know about their experiences? Very little. According to AP, those back above ground, they were not tortured or made to suffer drastically. The agency wrote, the fullest image yet of life under Hamas captivity was conjured up by 85-year-old Yokheved Lipstick, a hostage who was freed before the current ceasefire. Upon her release, Lipstick said she'd been held in tunnels which stretched under Gaza like a spiderweb. She said her captors told us they are people who believe in the Quran and wouldn't hurt us. Of course, none of that is believable, given what beastly acts of terror so many Hamas fighters carried out on October 7. There are obviously extremely varied interpretations of the Quran among Hamas soldiers. Uh, the story goes that Lipshitz said captives were treated well and received medical care, including medication. The guards kept conditions clean, she said. Hostages were given one meal a day of cheese, cucumber and pita, adding that her captors ate the same. Now, apart from the lengthy deprivation of liberty, it sounds almost humane. Fox News reported that one woman said her cousin and aunt were fed irregularly, having eaten mainly rice and bread, and lost around 15 pounds in just 50 days. Her family members said they'd slept on rows of chairs which were pushed together in what looked like a reception room and had to wait hours before going to the bathroom. Adva Adar, the grandchild of an 85-year-old released hostage, Yaffa Adar, said her grandmother had also lost weight. She said her grandmother was taken captive, convinced that her family members were dead, only to emerge to the news that they had survived. Fox claimed that many of the freed hostages appeared to be in good physical condition, able to walk and speak normally, but at least two needed more serious medical care. One hostage released on Sunday, 84-year-old Alma Abraham, was rushed to Israel's Soroka Medical Center in the southern city of Beersheba in a life-threatening condition. Now, we can only wonder how many other elderly hostages with pre-existing medical ailments didn't have the choice of being rushed to hospital and have died somewhere in the dark and dirty tunnels under Gaza. According to The Guardian, the women of the Munda family, Ruti and Keren, knew that after everything that had been taken from them, they could not afford to lose track of time. So while they were held captive in Gaza with Keren's nine-year-old son, Odad, they counted the days as they dragged slowly into weeks, and then, of course, the second month. Ronnie Reviv, niece of Ruti, 78, and cousin to Karen, said, they said that they tried to memorize the days. They always knew what day it was and what the date was. They knew that they were there for 49 days. They were together the whole time. What else do you do, I guess, underground, under guard, and under a huge amount of stress, thinking that Hamas would eventually treat you the way you saw them treat others on October 7, 49 days earlier. And the New York Times wrote that families told them that their loved ones ate irregularly, and as a result, they lost about six to eight kilograms. When hostages asked to go to the bathroom, they would have to knock on a door and wait, sometimes for up to two hours. What we've witnessed so far is just a trickle of freedom. There are still more than 170 hostages still hidden underground. Uh, who knows which ones have died, where they are being held. Maybe the ones who've been mistreated by Hamas in the usual brutal Hamas fashion won't get to tell their story. And why have no Americans been released? Yet yeah, we've had one four-year-old. This was an Israeli-American girl, Abigail Moore Eden. She was handed back, but not others. Has Hamas got a plan from when the Americans are left? Is there intention to use those hostages to extract one final negotiated request from the Biden administration? It's a concern now echoed by Donald Trump, I see today, but he he sees it as a snub to the administration rather than any kind of bargaining strategy. He wrote on Truth Social, has anyone noticed that Hamas has returned people from other countries, but so far has not returned a single American prisoner? There is only one reason for this. No respect for our country or our leadership. This is a very sad and dark time for America. One thing is for sure, even with this four-day truce now extended by two days, the math just doesn't add up. At this rate, that's another 140 hostages approximately who will still be held against their will underground. That's after these two extended days of truce. How are these people, the hostages and their families, withstanding such a prolonged mental torture? This is TNT Radio. You should hear what George Eliason is talking about.
2: Donald Trump's rules. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. when they claimed that thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control, once again, who can run for the office of president and who cannot.
0: War of the Worlds with George Eliason on today's News. Talk TNT radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of ten Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important, and that reach, and that touch point, and that daily reinforcement. It's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. Plenty coming up in the program. I have this theory, and I've had it for a long, long time, that the more our democracies grow, the more sophisticated they become, the less democratic they are. It's almost as if politicians have learnt how to subvert democracy by applying policies that appear to be democratic. Anyway, here is a classic example. US Democrat Senator Ron Wyden has expressed serious concerns about the legality of a secret phone surveillance program funded by the White House to track trillions of domestic phone records, maybe even yours, every year across the US. According to a letter sent by Senator Wyden to the Department of Justice, the Data Analytical Services Program, which sounds honest enough, has been collecting information from countless phone calls right across the nation. Formerly called Hemisphere, the program allows officials to ask for phone records of not only criminal suspects, but of their spouses, of their children, of their parents, and even of their friends. What did I say? Find a just democratic program and breach all the rules of fairness. Let's bring in our guest live from LA, California to discuss this and more. Natalie Jean Beisner is a political content creator, former Hollywood actress, atheist and lifelong liberal who walked away from the Democratic Party in 2020. She's now a conservative Christian and passionately pro-life. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Natalie Beisner, welcome back to TNT Radio.
1: Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me back.
0: Great to have you with us. Firstly, do you have any thoughts about what I had to say at the start of the program about the plight of the Israeli hostages taken by Hamas? How do we best deal emotionally with what has been a trickle of freedom, a trickle of positivity? It's almost agony in its pace, isn't it?
1: It is, and I wish I had some words of wisdom or something new to offer in terms of how best to deal with it. Obviously, it's a tragedy. I've I've found it odd that, you know, I'm pretty much in the news and following this. And it, it seems like there hasn't been much mentioned about American hostages. No. Uh, it, that doesn't seem to have been at the forefront. And obviously, there's a lot else going on. But I I've been sort of wondering about that. And it's interesting that we only have one in the White House. I think today said there's at least uh, nine left. Um, So I don't know, you know, I guess it sounds trite always, but I guess all we can do is pray and I mean, continue to demand answers. This is one instance. I mean, I I always hope Biden succeeds, you know, because he is my president um, for better or worse. So I, I certainly hope that they're working on it and that they succeed in bringing everyone home, but especially my fellow countrymen.
0: Maybe we're reading too much into it. Maybe Donald Trump is reading too much into it as well. But it just seems weird that of the four hand deliveries of hostages, only a four-year-old Israeli-American has been released. No adult Americans in that lot. And as you say, the White House said today between eight and nine Americans they believe could be living and in their custody. It just seems almost deliberate, doesn't it?
1: I agree. I mean, we hear it all the time that uh, the rest of the world sees America as weak. <laughs> I think uh, people like to say we were a laughingstock under President Trump. I that may or may not have been true, but I think President Trump, um, the world leaders didn't know what he was going to do. And I think sometimes <laughs> I think sometimes that's good. Uh, But I think a lot of the things that we've seen under the Biden administration, Afghanistan, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. uh, possibly even this attack, I personally don't think they would have happened under Trump. So is it a snub? You know, obviously it's a tragedy uh, that these people are even still hostages. But is it a snub? I I don't know. I don't really feel confident under this administration at all.
0: No, I I agree entirely. Let's talk about Biden. President Biden is currently registering a 38.9% approval rating on average. Now, anywhere you go in the world in a democratic system, when you get into the thirties, it's curtains. He's trailing Donald Trump in national polls by 2.3 percentage points. And this is the clue. He's also trailing Trump in five of the six key electoral college swing states. How do you interpret these numbers?
1: Uh, well, I was just scrolling through X before we logged on here, and and Trump twenty twenty four now more than ever is trending, as is uh, liberals are in panic. Hashtag, um, you know, I in recent years, presidents have always uh, who who do win re-election. Uh, they've always had approval ratings of f- high forties or higher um, in their re-election year. So mm. this obviously doesn't bode well for Biden. But I also don't want to get uh, compla- complacent um definitely do not want to sit back and and think that we have it in the bag because personally i don't think biden will be the nominee so i think that there's going to be a lot that happens between uh now and november and possibly even now and the end of the year
0: who will be the nominee
1: (laughs) well i think it'll be newsome i don't i don't see any other avenue i don't know how that that'll work you know i don't know how they get harris out but uh i think it'll be newsome i think it's got to be
0: Well, well, it's interesting you say that. Maybe that's exactly what Ron DeSantis thinks, because the California governor, Gavin Newsom, and the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, have agreed to debate one another on live television this week. Um, And given the fact the two aren't actually competing head to head in an election, gee, that says a lot about where they think 2024 will go
1: it does and this has been well it's been talked about for over a year and it's been on the books uh since june so it's interesting that they had that much much foresight i I think it's a waste of time for ron DeSantis. i'm not really sure uh what the point is if i were him i would say uh put your hat in the ring and then maybe (laughs) maybe i'll debate you uh but why waste your time debating someone who's not a presidential contender um if you don't want to be a governor anymore uh, then why are you debating a fellow governor? Uh, it just—it seems I don't. I don't. I don't know what the point is for entertainment. I guess because there's been a fun rivalry between them. But personally, I think DeSantis doesn't have the charisma that a lot of people are hoping for, and and Newsom does. <laughs> and that is not necessarily how one should vote, uh, but it certainly does play a factor in voting. And I just I don't think it's worthwhile for DeSantis to be on the debate stage with someone who. Maybe is a better debater than he is, I guess. I guess we'll see. I think he has to blow it out of the water. Otherwise, uh, maybe the campaign is done. <laughs> if he going to blow it form, out of the water yeah. and
0: then some, I, I'd expect.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Newsom really has nothing at stake because no one's going to look at his performance and say, oh, that was terrible. I'm going to vote for DeSantis. Uh, Newsom isn't running right now. I think he'll step in uh, out of the wings at the last final moment. Uh, but yeah, I just it's I don't see the point. But I, a lot of the DeSantis campaign so far, I've been wondering who is who is whispering in his ear and who's in charge because a lot of it has been odd and poor choices. And I like him. I like him. I I, I always say I think he's like practically saved my life during COVID. I'm a Californian. I'd never been to Florida until a couple months ago, but just knowing that Florida existed and was Floridians were living life and freedom. Uh, really helped me get through 2020 as dramatic as that might sound. It's absolutely the truth because California was, uh, just a heck hole, not good at all, but wow. I think the numbers speak for themselves. You know, to say, uh, Newsom has had an exodus from California, you know, for the first time in over a hundred years. So, yes. uh, what's the point of the debate? <laughs>
0: The, the, exactly. Are with their
1: feet. Yeah. Everyone's
0: moving from west to east, not east to yes, west. But, exactly. But let me ask you one more question about this idea of twenty twenty four. Who makes the decision then, Natalie, about Joe not running and Gavin Newsom running? And clearly, it's got to be Gavin Newsom uh, on the bench. So, does Gavin Newsom say it's time get the president out of the way? Does the party say it's time Joe get out of the way? Does Joe have to make the decision and say, I'm getting out of the way, or is it the First Lady's decision?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I would definitely say the party. Maybe the First Lady has a hand in that. I think we all know that Joe Biden is not in charge, um, and he's sort of a puppet. And I don't think Newsom can step in. I, I don't know enough about it. I've, I've heard that DNC can just name a candidate, even after primary season, that that's in, in the rules. Um, I don't know i personally think there'll be something about health i i don't wish any ill health on biden or certainly not anything worse than ill health but i think it'll be something like that um and again i don't know where harris goes but i think she'll politely step down and say no i was with biden and i don't i don't feel comfortable running i've done my time i've served and i think she'll get some other kind of position and then there you go Newsom. and i think Newsom will be a, a big contender for trump i think that would be hard for trump to beat in my opinion
0: Well, that's interesting. I've got to take a break. Let's get some news for our listeners. I'll come back, Natalie. I want to raise this secretive White House phone surveillance program because it is gross and it crosses the line in the sand. We'll get to Natalie Weisner in just a second. Let's take a break. Get some news for you on TNT Radio.
2: This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
0: Here is the news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The ceasefire in Gaza, which was due to expire on Monday evening, has been extended by a further 48 hours. The Russian region of Crimea has been hit by the worst storm in its history, with tsunami-like waves and 150 km per hour winds thrashing the peninsula. And another NATO country has run out of weapons for Ukraine. The Czech Republic, the latest nation to announce its stockpiles, are running empty. On
1: air. And on the app. I
2: listen on the app.
1: Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Let's
0: get back to Natalie Beisner. Well, how's this secretive White House phone surveillance program secretive and pretending to be somewhat proper? It's one thing to watch um, convicts go about their lives. It's another thing to tail their spouses, to tail their families and, seriously, tailing their friends at the same time. I think it's a major step over the line in the sand, but trillions of phone records are being picked to pieces by those in the deep state. Not on.
1: No. Uh, No, shocking, but not surprising, I guess. Uh, Yeah, absolutely crazy. There's there's apparently no congressional oversight whatsoever, which is different from previous programs that might have been somewhat similar. And uh, they're apparently using the information to track uh, location for criminal suspects, which is deemed un- unconstitutional without a warrant. Um, so, you know, even criminal suspects, they have <laughs> constitutional rights. We are innocent uh, until proven guilty, allegedly, still. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely wild. And and the senator who wrote this letter, he's not able to disclose any of the information uh, to the American public himself, even though it doesn't pose a national security threat.
0: That is ridiculous. So,
1: again, we just have bits and pieces of our freedom being taken away without any real concrete understanding of, of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I don't know whether my theory is right, but I just think the more sophisticated and entrenched democracy becomes, the less democratic it is. And here is a classic example. A program that would seemingly sound, at least in title, as something above board is not above board. Um, And it's one thing to follow a a criminal who gets out on parole. You want to find out whether he should be back in jail or whether they, they can be trusted or how he adapts to the next part of his life in public, but not when they've served their time for their crime and they're out and they're free. Leave them alone.
1: Absolutely. And certainly don't be messing around with contacts of contacts. And, you know, it's like six degrees of separation. They're following people who don't even know the suspect, but are connected to someone who is close to the suspect. So um, that's absolutely, you know, not constitutional at all.
0: And most Americans would think, well, hang on a second, if they are trawling through that many records, trillions and trillions, they're going to find stuff that would on the surface sound incriminating. They're going to take that stuff, probably deal with that stuff with other agencies, then all of a sudden the innocent are in trouble.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, this is just another piece of the frustrating puzzle where I don't feel secure, you know, the border is wide open uh people are permitted to wreak havoc upon cities during the summer of love you know i don't know that anyone's gotten any kim- uh, criminal prosecution from the blm protests and riots uh but here we are you know spying on american citizens and you know once once that happens we never take that back you know once it starts it never it never goes away anytime this emergency proceedings or things for your safety once they're in place we never get that freedom back
0: yeah let's do uh, let's move on to something completely different. This is George Floyd's death. Now, there's a new documentary by investigative journalist Liz Collin, titled "The Fall of Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis, uh, challenges the mainstream narrative around George Floyd's death. Uh, this documentary shows the public has been fed a whole heap of lies about his death. What have you heard that this documentary contains?
1: Well, it's just interesting timing about, you know, what has uh, happened to Chauvin and in, in prison with the stabbing. Yeah. Um, I, I personally haven't seen the documentary. I'm excited to see it. But, yeah. you know, I did see I'm not sure if you or your listeners have seen it. Is as um, the greatest lie ever sold by Candace Owens available to Daily Wire subscribers. It's a really short documentary, but it goes into how much fentanyl uh george floyd had in his system and then also from different angles chauvin wasn't actually allegedly kneeling on the neck it was on like the upper shoulder um which is a whole different perspective you know it was uh said in court that he was following now you can think that the rule book or the playbook of (laughs) what cops are allowed to do you can think maybe that is uh unconstitutional or wrong but he was following The procedure the accepted procedure um and i think the whole thing has just been crazy that again and again and again with these blm heroes that they hold up uh, michael brown every one after the other there's so much more to the story that we find out after the fact after the damage has been done after the narrative has already gotten out there and i think that chauvin deserves another trial i don't know how he'll ever get it or how it will ever be a a fair trial but there's so much more to the story about what has what actually happened here um and I'm, i'm interested to see the documentary i hope everyone checks it out
0: it's interesting you say that because if fentanyl does what the medics tell us it does which is amplify the impacts of other drugs if he's taking meth and he's taking fentanyl well He's the power of three of his size, and that's how law enforcement have have long regarded someone on meth. Now, if you're taking meth and you're taking fentanyl at the same time, um, you've got to go in to any kind of situation knowing that you're going to be out-muscled by the alleged offender, and so therefore you've got to take a very, very aggressive stance. This is what they're trained to do. Now, I know the vision... Um, implicates him terribly there's no doubt about that and it does look like he's placed his knee on the neck of floyd mm-hmm. but having said all of that boy oh boy what they're taught and what they're allowed to do are two very different things nowadays
1: absolutely uh, and the biggest uh well one of the biggest issues for me was that there was just no evidence that this was r- racism either you know there there can be miscarriages of justice obviously there are bad police out there Um, But just the fact that two people have different skin colors does not suddenly make this about racism. So the whole thing was just blown out of proportion. I don't think Floyd should have died the way that he did. Obviously, he deserved a trial. Of course, we know that he begged to be put on the ground as well, did not want to get into the back of the cop car, said he was having a panic attack, which I get. So I understand I feel for him. Um, But there were just so many other factors here. And I don't think that most Americans really understand, self-included, what exactly happened. It's not so black and white, no pun intended.
0: Yeah, and as for the offender, this is a lifetime of being a target of others, as we've seen whilst he was inside in the last week.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, worry, about, I worry about him. Mm. You know, you can think maybe he's not supposed to be a cop, but I, I don't think that it was a fair trial.
0: New York State Governor Kathy Hochul and the State Department of Health have recently won an appeal in a lawsuit over quarantine orders. Why they are still adamant about being able to quarantine people, I got no idea. Maybe they're still wetting their pants over COVID nineteen. I got no idea. Is the governor setting up New Yorkers for quarantine camps? If we have another pandemic, if we have another major disease sweep New York, what 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 is the feeling here? I would have thought they should just let it go.
1: I don't know if they'll ever let it go. Uh, no, you know this is actually not to be histrionic about anything, but I would be frightened if I were a New Yorker and looking at this. Uh, this is actually really crazy. It, it gives the health department the ability to involuntarily quarantine or isolate someone for any communicable communicable disease um and you know th- there is something about due process i r- i read the the law but it's you know after the fact and the judge struck it down last year saying that it is a violation of separation of powers it was put in place by the Cuomo administration. It was not put in place by the New York legislature. And the any due process that you get would be sort of after the fact, after you've been involuntarily isolated. They do not have to prove that you have COVID-19 or whatever it is that they are isolating you for. And so this is really, really scary to me. I think Hochul is on a power trip. We saw New York keep masks on toddlers, on toddlers, well after they took them off of adults, well into 2020 too. So, I you know, I would would keep an eye on this. And this is funny because it's really, really not in the news. But to me, this is absolutely crazy, crazy unconstitutional thing that is happening right under our noses. And there's no doubt in my mind that there will be another pandemic, whether it's as deadly as they say this time or not. Uh, I think that there will be another pandemic and we should all be alert, especially with stuff like this.
0: Yeah, I'm not as scared as I have been trained to be at the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember two state premiers in Australia insisting that the federal government put in billions and billions of dollars to build these incredibly Uh, boutique quarantine headquarters. And the Prime Minister at the time said, no, 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 you don't need that. We're only doing quarantine for a short period as we learn how infectious this thing is, as we try and work out exactly how many from overseas are bringing in new strains, et cetera. So it was a period of quarantine that was over the top, yes, but probably preemptive and you kind of get it. But then as the pandemic waned, uh, all this money ended up going to these state premiers and these massive boutique, billion-dollar premises of quarantine were established, and I think the total number of those put into these incredibly expensive quarantine headquarters between the two states, mind you, was something like 12.
1: <laughs> yeah. Big, uh, fat, white awesome. elephants. hmm yeah. But, of course, I worry that uh, the next time around it'll be more, you know, whether or not they have COVID or whatever the, whatever it is that we're supposed to be worried about. I don't yeah, know.
0: Maybe. Now, are you getting <laughs> good feedback slower. from your recent pro-life postings? I've been watching them on uh, X. You've been using social media uh, mm-hmm. to make several points. Are you getting feedback on those?
1: Always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always, always getting feedback. Yeah, pro-life is probably the cause that I'm I'm most passionate about. And it's the one that's the most clear-cut for me. All of the science is, is only on one side. Uh, all of the ethics, everything is, is only on one side.
0: Are, are you concerned about which way various states are going on this?
1: I am. But, uh, you know, uh, Javier Millet was just uh, elected in a landslide in Argentina, and he is ardently pro-life from what I understand. I mean, he makes no bones about it. He was very clear in a Tucker Carlson interview. Yep. Um, in fact, he had a very poignant, uh, th- a minute and thirty second speech really about pro life. So. I I do not think that this is necessarily a losing issue. I know Argentina is far more Christian than uh, the current United States is, uh, but I think that the issue needs to be tandem. It needs to be legislative and also cultural. We have a huge battle ahead of us as pro-lifers, um, but I do not think that this is something that you sway on. I don't think you give an inch because they'll take a mile. The Democrats used to have safe, legal, and rare. They abandoned that within the span of my lifetime, and they won't even mention rare anymore when it comes to abortion because of course that's admitting that there's something wrong with abortion and it's not merely healthcare. so i don't think that this is something that conservatives or pro-lifers should compromise on at all and um the issue is us the issue isn't the issue the issue is us and our godlessness and really uh, whatever you believe in terms of faith our fundamental misunderstanding of science and the reality that a human fetus is both human and alive and does that not mean that he has human rights? Do you have to be human and alive and something else to have inherent human rights? And so you if you're saying no
0: compromise, alive? Natalie, if you're saying no compromise, you're not prepared for the issue to be compromised based on term.
1: Uh, I, I just don't think that this is something we should waver on in in the hopes of winning elections i think that we should be clear i like that desantis is clear that you know he has the six week ban and maybe that's not popular but i think that you should be clear on that i do not think you should start uh quibbling to win elections that's that's my opinion six weeks is still too far for me and i know that's unpopular but uh this is an important issue and i think that we can win but we have to change the culture too it's not just going to be uh you know voting in.
0: Well, there are bigger cultural barriers than there are, I think, legal barriers (laughs) on this issue. Uh, Natalie, all the very best. Thank you so much for your time today. Great to get your insight.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: Good on you. From LA, Natalie Beisner, with all that's happening around the United States and a bit beyond all of that as well. Let's open the lines and hear what you have to say about some of those issues and maybe you want to put some more on the agenda quite happy to follow your lead on that if you want to dial in you can do so from the united states or canada on one 201 6425 from the united kingdom 033-0024-1026 and from australia and new zealand 1-800-670-310 this is chris smith let's take a break and come back hopefully with your calls your views and your opinions because they do count right here on TNT Radio.
1: Eggs. You can fry them, scramble them,
0: poach them, boil them or race them on a spoon. But uncooked eggs can be a risk for food poisoning. To be safe, avoid buying dirty or cracked eggs. Always wash your hands after handling eggs. And if you're concerned, pregnant, elderly or have a poor immune system, make sure you cook eggs until the yolk starts to firm. Or look for new pasteurised eggs. For excellent eggs,
1: handle them safely.
0: This is The Christmas Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Let's go to our talkback lines. Andrew's phoned in. Andrew McGowan from Australia. Go ahead, Andrew.
2: G'day, Smithy. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you.
2: Mate, I wanted to talk to you about an issue that I should have called last week. I apologise. International Men's Day. Yes, I mentioned
0: International Men's Day on air, um, but, you know, it's not too late. Tell us.
2: I had the privilege of sharing part of my story. There were 2,500 pairs of boots or shoes on the Lawn of Parliament House representing every male suicide. Seven men a day, Smithy. You imagine the Blues next year going to training on Tuesday afternoon, then turning up at the game on Wednesday night to play and there's no back line. That's what we're talking about. An entire back line of a rugby union or rugby league team every day are taking their lives. Now we Tell
0: can't me about the imagine. other people who were present at that ceremony. There was not one politician there. Right.
2: That was the Sunday. On the Thursday, they had a day on the lawn and police came. But it wasn't a sitting week. It was off. So everybody had gone home. But not even the ACT senators or the local ACT members turned up. What a terrible shame. Now, last Saturday, the TWU had a uh, rally. Um, They called it a convoy in every state around Australia. And New South Wales chose uh, the Lawn of Parliament House to have theirs. Trucks drove around tooting their horns. There were three politicians came out, two senators and a member of uh, the... Uh, ACT, uh, I think he's a Labor guy, it wasn't very impressive to me when I wanted to talk to him about the issue of suicide. Now, 51 men have lost their lives in the trucking industry. Don't get me wrong, Smithy, every life, man, woman, child, whatever, is valuable. But we can't, we can't accept this, but nor can we expect governments to legislate to stop suicide. So I'm going to ask you and your listeners a commitment. Let's choose love. Every day we can choose hate or we can choose love, and we've seen what hate's doing in Gaza. So yeah. let's choose love. Let's do random acts of kindness. Let's shake the hand of somebody we've never met before, because strangers are only friends that we've not yet met. Mm. You now I didn't know you before I rang you from the phone box that time in Double Bay all those years ago, yeah. but we've never met face to face other than that time. But I consider you a mate. I can pick up the phone. I can ring you, and you take my calls, and I appreciate that so much.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Men put up such uh, a wall. They put up a barrier in terms of their emotions um, in general. I'm speaking generally now.
1: Um,
0: And as a result, we don't ever think that they could be doing it tough, but they struggle underneath, don't they?
2: They do, because big boys don't cry. We all grew up in that era of men don't cry and all that. But one of the things that struck me on the lawn of Parliament House was the number of men Whose stories involve the family court and the injustices there? Even though we've signed the rights of um, the child under the Hague Convention, the child has a right to a relationship with both parents. Still, very much one-sided in our country.
0: Mm. Well, most now, lawyers. Well, been... most lawyers who are not biased will tell you that that's exactly the way the court leans.
2: It does. It does. Yeah. And there's not because there's no punishment for, for the mum either. You know, I advocated years ago when I was, you know, with God's help, I represented myself for 10 years and never lost, but I never won because the mother knew that she could contravene the orders and there was no ramifications. Whereby, yeah. And they say they do that because they don't want to prosecute the children. Well, when the child's with the father, why not have weekend detention for the mother? So there is some deterrent for the mo- mother to adhere to federal court orders. And because they're federal court orders, the state police won't touch them. No. No, 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 no. That, that, that's out of our jurisdiction. It seems very convenient. but
0: we're, oh, we're not, And uh, you can imagine how this would annihilate the mental stability of any man.
2: Oh, absolutely. Mate, I, have a, I have a friend who, who started to, there was an organisation, and it still is, Dad's in Distress, was for guys to get around, sit around and, and have a yarn and share their stories and support one another in their court battles. Mm. And he, his wife had sexually abused their daughter. She was taken off the mother and given him full custody for about 12 months. Then it turned around, the mother made applications, and the child went back to her mother, who had sexually abused her own daughter, and been caught doing it.
0: Astonishing.
2: Yeah, it is astonishing and astounding. But, mate, you and I can make a choice of how we treat each other. Yeah. and how we treat others. And I've got to admit, mate, I'm not the best because I suffer complex PTSD and bipolar as a result of the trauma I experienced as a child. And my, my weak point is my assistance animals. Someone picks on them, mate, I'll go to town. Yeah. Yeah, I've, got to, I've got to rein that in. And I'll put my hand up first and say, I want to be accountable for that. I want to stick up for my rights, but I don't want to do it in a way that's detrimental to somebody else's mental health. Of course. So will you make that commitment, Smithy,
0: to love uh, every day? Happy to individually, but also as a group, listeners, listen to what Andrew says. It's just a simple thing. But we can make decisions on a constant basis in our daily lives and make a decision about love and eradicate the hate.
2: Exactly. And uh, I'm hoping this week while I'm in Canberra to, to catch up with some senators and some members of parliament to get there. Uh, commitment to it too because we may not be able to legislate it but surely we can get the leaders of our nation to put their hand right. up and say you know what good idea and since yeah. COVID mate and the, and the disconnect the, the relational disconnect that we all face mate we've got to fight to get that back because for years our soldiers were admired for the mateship and, and that uh, an American or uh, a pommy knew if they had an Aussie beside them in the trenches they had their back Hmm. We've got to get back to that, but we've got to get back to having the, the, the back of our neighbour because you yeah. think each and every a medical other back around us. Yep. Absolutely. If there's a medical emergency at your home, your neighbour is your first point of contact, he's the yep. closest person to lend aid to you, and vice versa.
0: But gone are the days when we would share our lives with neighbours, as we used to do. We'd leave our door open. We'd share uh, some of the main festivities of the year with our neighbours. It doesn't happen as much as it used to.
2: No, block parties. Remember the old street party? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And this time of year is a perfect time of the year to have a block yeah. party. Yeah. Yeah. To get to know our neighbours again, to say, you know what? COVID ain't beat me and it ain't going to beat me.
0: Yeah, I'm good, an good point. I've got to run, Andrew. I've got stuff to get to. But thank you very much for making the point. And uh, maybe you've changed someone's life or maybe even a few lives today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for taking the call, mate. No problem. Andrew McGowan, who's off to Canberra next week and uh, pressing the flesh so that some of the MPs Sit up and take notice about the number of men who are committing suicide on a daily basis, seven on a daily basis. It's just pathetic, isn't it? Thank you, Pelly, for your comments about Natalie Beisner. Natalie Beisner is a legend and last week's wedding proposal still stands. I'll pass it on to her. Thank you very much for that, Pelly. Authorities in Malaysia have arrested eight people And seized 60 terabytes of data during raids on an alleged international criminal syndicate, which sold phishing tools targeting Australian government websites, including MyGov. The operation followed a tip-off from the Australian Federal Police, which was also involved in the operation, along with the Royal Malaysian Police and the FBI. A 35-year-old man and seven others were arrested after the man's home in Borneo was searched earlier this month. Authorities uncovered a large number of usernames, passwords, and cryptocurrency wallet seed phrases during the search. Those arrested are thought to be linked to an international syndicate targeting government websites in Malaysia, Australia, and the U.S., The group were advertising phishing software tools which were sold to cyber criminals to enable them to send phishing attacks and obtain victims' credentials. This is just wide open. This whole phishing expedition is wide open, and it's not throwing a line out to catch a fish. You understand exactly what I mean. It's the kind of emails that you would receive in some of the apps that you use for these purposes, and they catch you, and then they embed in your computer or your account. The service held more than 16 virtual machines that ran a variety of operating systems and services, along with more than 60 terabytes of data. AFP acting detective superintendent, Daryl Parrish, said Australians lost over $24.6 million to phishing attacks last year, $24.6 million. Cyber criminals will use any tools and tricks to exploit people for their own profit. In this case, it is mimicking trusted government websites, said Parrish. This case highlights how vital it is for law enforcement agencies to share intelligence and resources globally as crime is borderless. So it's the FBI, it's the Malaysian police and the Australian Federal Police working together. The raid was revealed as the Australian Signals Directorate, issued new updates for the essential eight mitigation strategies that aim to prevent cyber attacks on Australian organisations and government agencies. It is a big area of law enforcement around the world right now. Um, I wanted to look inside what, as I did at the start of the program, I wanted to look inside the minds of the families who've had hostages captive in Gaza and what they have gleaned from their family members about how they were treated. We did that at the start of the show. But what about in Gaza City and the kinds of injuries that have turned up to hospitals and what jobs the doctors have had to jump on very, very quickly in an emergency? Well, a British-Palestinian doctor, according to The Telegraph in London, who has just returned to the city after fleeing Gaza, said this. Have a listen to this. He was forced to perform amputations on six children in one single night, as he recounted the horrendous 43 days he spent in the heart of the war. Six children in one individual night. Professor Ghassan Abu Sitar, a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, arrived in the territory in the early hours of October nine just two days after Hamas's attack on Israel, to provide medical assistance. He eventually left on the 18th of November and is now back home in West London. During his time in Gaza, he worked around the clock at the Al-Shifa and Al-Ali hospitals, operating on victims of Israel's intensive shelling and ground operation, which is estimated to have killed 14,800 people thus far. The professor believes up to 900 children in Gaza have undergone an amputation on their limbs since the beginning of the war. And he told the Telegraph after a press briefing on Monday that he'd carried out this procedure on six children alone in one evening. He said by day four or five of the campaign, half of my operating list, which was around 10 to 12 cases every day, were children. When you start operating on children, he said, you know, this is going to be around one of 10 to 15 surgeries a child will need before they reach adult age and their bodies stop growing. Awful. Professor Abu Sitar described how many of the people on his operation table were victims of fragment missiles fired by the Israelis and required guillotine amputations in very tough parts of their bodies, such as the mid-thigh, where medics had to soar through a web of thick muscles, and the femur, the strongest bone in the body. Fragmentation bombs are particularly deadly as they erupt into a shower of small and fast-moving lethal metal fragments upon impact. Throughout his time in Gaza, the professor provided regular updates to the Telegraph detailing the collapse of the Territory's healthcare system. We eat when we can, just because you need to keep going and keep moving forward. You go to sleep knowing that the day after will look as bleak as the day before, but we live in hope, he said. Live in hope. How in those sorts of circumstances do you live with any hope? When you know that the kids that you're amputating uh, amputating a particular limb will have to have 15 different operations later in life. Just hideous. Got to take a break for news. Back after that with TNT Radio.